Chapter Ten of the Elephant Club by Dostics and Oxide. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Ten: The Police Courts. I do remember Anne, a apothecary. Several evenings passed before all the members of the club again assembled. In the meantime, the quantity of manuscripts had become unusually large the members having found that the police courts were prolific in sights of the colossal quadruped when they did meet it was whispered that one of the members had had some personal experience not only as a spectator but as a prisoner no questions however were propounded upon the subject in a tone loud enough for the member in question to hear as they desired to allow him to speak of the matter voluntarily confess his fault and receive the forgiveness of his fellows the proceedings of the evening were opened by the high old boy who took his official seat announced that the special order of the meeting was to hear the reports of members who had been present at the sessions of the police courts with the view of noting down their zoological features the high old boy called upon dennis wagstaff and overdale for the result of their visit to the police courts wagstaff's notebook was produced and the lengthened narratives inscribed therein went to show the following state of facts wagstaff arose one morning at six precisely and after having hit dennis with his own wooden leg and pulled overdale's eyes open by his whiskers and hair announced to them if they were going to visit the essex market police court that day to see the animals that it was time to rise they slipped on their clothing as soon as possible and started somewhat sooner they passed the odd fellow's hall which overdale expatiated upon at some length as an extensive log chain factory he formed his conclusion from seeing three links of chain represented in a conspicuous part of the building the westchester house he informed them was washington's headquarters and under this belief they stopped some time to look at it and speak of it in connection with the many stories related of that interesting relic of the architecture of the last century they arrived at length at the essex market in the upper part of which the police magistrate of that judicial district sits in a big chair for the purpose of dealing out retail justice and getting a wholesale living the trio ascended into the courtroom where the justice was seated disposing of the hard cases which had accumulated during the night overdale was still communicative in answer to the inquiries of dennis he informed that gentleman that the police clerks were associated justices that the prisoner's cage was the jury-box and pointed out the prisoners themselves as the jury the humble member of the police who is known as the doorman overdell said answered well the description of the chief of the police contained in one of the historic works of john mclennan dennis inquired where the prisoners were overdale was unable to answer but at last expressed it as his opinion that the persons who were standing about them must be the malefactors dennis said he never could satisfactorily account for the jurors being tried and sent out of the room in charge of officers but he had too much confidence in the extensive knowledge and vast intelligence of overdale to suppose that his hirsute friend could possibly be mistaken in consequence of this misplaced confidence on the part of wagstaff and dennis the notebook of the former was filled with notes of the trials of the different members of the jury one case of which wagstaff took full notes was that of edward bobber a seafaring man of very peculiar appearance 
possessing some remarkable characteristics of manner dress speech looks and action he was charged with being drunk in the way of physical beauty edward was decidedly a damaged article he had lost one arm by a snake-bite and been deprived of an eye by the premature explosion of a pistol which broke his spectacles at the same time it extinguished his sinister optic the unexpected descent of a shipmate from the tops upon his head had turned his neck so that he seemed to be keeping a perpetual lookout over his shoulder with his remaining eye his nose resembled a half-ripe tomato and a pair of warty excrescences hung upon his face as if someone had shot a couple of marbles at him which had stuck to him for life his complexion bore a close resemblance to the outside of a huckleberry pudding his teeth which were unusually long projected backward as if they had taken a start to grow down his throat this last peculiarity was undoubtedly one cause of a remarkable singularity of speech which seriously impaired his natural facility of conversation some idiosyncrasy of disposition probably had also something to do with this lingual embarrassment but certain it is that mr edward bobber never answered one question until he was asked another to which last he would give the reply intended for query number one whether his mental faculties needed always a second interrogative punching up or whether the fangs projecting downward retained one answer until displaced by another wagstaff and his friends were unable to decide but they truly believed that an inquiry propounded to edward bobber aforesaid would have remained unanswered until doomsday unless a second question followed the first a transcript of a conversation between him and the clerk of the court reads as follows clerk where were you born the prisoner removed his solitary orb from its guardianship over his left shirt-sleeve rolled it slowly round until it commanded a fair view of the questioner but said nothing the clerk nothing daunted continued how long have you been in this country the face assumed a look of intelligence and answer number one came out edward broom county clerk how old are you edward two years clerk how long have you been drunk edward thirty-four years seven months and nine days clerk where did you get your liquor edward rolling his eye toward the judge been on a spree four days judge very indignant did you say i've been on a spree edward old mother bidwell's down in mott street clerk do you mean hereafter to treat this court respectfully edward no sir i hope not officer with red hair if you ain't crazy i'm a jackass edward yes sir of course the excited judge here commenced making out his commitment but the clerk who began to see the fun thought best to ask him a few more questions first and accordingly inquired of bobber what he traded in as he seemed to own a sloop the prisoner who had been cogitating upon the last remark of the red-haired officer until he had waxed wroth burst out jackass jackass yes you are a jackass not a doubt of it clerk come tell me what kind of liquor did you drink yesterday edward soap candles coffee barlead chickens coal pine kindling wood smoked hams and white wood shingles judge interfering prisoner you are only getting yourself into trouble my patience will give out i can't stand everything do you think i'm made of patience edward whiskey nothing but whiskey sir upon my honour 
the last answer proved too much for the gravity of the court the judge the clerk the attendant officers and all smiled audibly a whispered word from the clerk explained to the justice the true state of the case edward was discharged and as he departed from the courtroom an officer two blocks away heard him in answer to a request for a penny proffered by a little girl give what was undoubtedly intended as a detailed reply to the last interrogative remark of the police justice the case of mr palmerston hook which was also reported in wagstaff's notebook would seem to indicate that there was more than one way of catching fish mr hook was brought up as a vagrant he was a smooth-faced individual about old enough to vote dressed in rather grotesque flashy clothes very much worn the sleeves of his coat were quite large in accordance with the prevailing style but they served a purpose of utility as was developed by the evidence in a rather novel profession which mr hook followed the principal witness was mr james skinner a very respectable dealer in catherine market who devotes his time and talents to purchasing eels from the catchers thereof and selling the same to citizens and others who desire to enjoy the luxury of eating eels either fried or done up in the form of pie or any other form mr skinner has obtained for himself an enviable popularity as a man of integrity it has never been said of him that he ever sold an eel whose recent advent upon dry land from the salt water was a matter of serious question and to think that mr palmerston hook should have selected mr skinner's stock to depredate upon is a matter of some surprise mr skinner testified as follows this ere feller come to my eel stand yesterday morning and asked me how eels was says i good as usual and i axed him if he wanted to buy says he how much says i eighteen pence says he is them all yer got says i yes ye see just before this feller come up i counted them and there was zackly leaven then this ere feller he gun to palm over and kinder jumble em up together which i thought was very funny and at last says he guess i won't take none this morning he acted so kinder sneakin that i thought he wasn't all right and fore he got out of sight i counted the eels and found one on em was missin i put for this here feller and ketched him at the corner and i found my spicions was right for on searching the chap i found a kneel up in his coat sleeve judge how did he keep the eel up in his sleeve mr skinner well that was done in a kinder genus way he had a fish-hook on the end of a line and the line was run up the right coat sleeve over his shoulder and it come down inside of his coat on the left side and he come up to the stand and when he was a kinder pawn over the eels he was a catchin the fish-hook and the tail of the eel and as soon as it was catched in he pulled the line with his left hand and drawed the eel up under his sleeve and as soon as it was drawed up he stopped pawn and left and ere's the fish-hook and line what i found on him and i think he oughter be sent to blackwell's island for being a wagrant judge hook what have you got to say for yourself mr hook i haven't got nothing to say only i was very hungry and was a-looking along in the market bin i appened to see the heels wot this ere hold cock ad says i to myself says i now i'll hax the price and maybe the whole woman may want von if they's cheap 
well i happened to ave a ook and line in my coat which i suppose accidentally got ketched in von of the heels and then i left to go and tell the whole voman how cheap they vos it ung on to the ook judge that's a pretty story to tell me do you suppose i am going to believe it mr hook on the honour of a gentleman that vos the vay it happened judge at any rate i shall send you up for three months mr hook bust me i honly vish you ad to try it three months yourself you wouldn't think it was quite so funny mr palmerston hook was conducted below another interesting feature of the proceedings during the morning grew out of the case of mr wallabout warbler whose name was the last called mr warbler had reached the last stages of shabby gentility time had told sadly on his garments originally of fine material and fashionable cut his black curly hair was whitened out by contact with whitewash and his nose had become the garden for the culture of blossoms by far more common than they are proper but mr warbler despite the reverses which he had evidently suffered stood proudly and gracefully erect if the external man was in a state of dilapidation the spirit still was unhurt he smiled gracefully when the judge addressed him and told him that he was charged with having been arrested in a state of drunkenness officers clinch and holdem were the witnesses against mr warbler they stated substantially that about one o'clock that morning they found mr warbler standing in a garbage barrel on the edge of the sidewalk extemporizing doggerel to an imaginary audience they insisted upon his stopping when mr warbler told them that it was a violation of etiquette to interrupt a gentleman when he was delivering a poem before the alumni of a college he was evidently under the influence of liquor and quite out of his mind they thought for his own safety that they had better bring him to the station-house judge mr warbler you have heard what the officers have stated about your eccentric course of conduct how did you happen to get drunk mr warbler twas night and gloomy darkness had her ebon veil unfurled and not remained but gas-lamps to light this ere world the twinkling orbs with silvery light endowed were all occult on t'other side a thundering big black cloud pale luna too shed not her beams upon the motley groups which lazily were standing round like new disbanded troops judge it's not to hear such nonsense that i occupy this seat mr warbler a death-like stillness here prevailed on alley pier and street judge to listen to such stuff sir i can't sacrifice my time mr w don't discombobulate my thought and interrupt my rhyme i think that when misfortune is put on its defence poetic justice logic law as well as common sense demand its story all be heard unless ex parte proof is to send poor friendless cusses underneath the prison's roof shall i proceed judge proceed but don't make your tale too long mr w i'll heed your words depend upon it i own that i was wrong in rushing headlong as i did into inebriation but let me question now the court is it not a palliation of the depth of human guilt if malice don't incite to break in divers fragments state laws wrong or right 
and when only human appetite uncontrolled by human reason leads men of genius oftentimes the dish of life to season with condiments which pro tem the mental palate tickle yet very often in the end put human joys in pickle which ain't so cussed funny though all of the expense of grub and the etceteras the public pays for hence i ask this court believing that its feelings are not hampered if justice should not ever be with human mercy tempered judge perhaps now tell me warbler where you bought your liquor mr w anon i'll tell you last week judge prostrate was i far sicker than to me's agreeable with the diarrhoea chronic and sympathizing friends advised that i should take some tonic i asked them what at once they said get some lager beer twas got drink freely boy said they nothing need you fear but you'll be up and on your legs the lager beer was took soon every object in my sight had a very drunken look lager beer to german ears the words may be euphonic tonic certainly it was but decidedly too tonic abnormal thirst excited it and i went to great excesses the statement's quite superfluous my nose the fact confesses last night attracted by the scenes which gotham streets present i dressed myself in sombre clothes and out of doors i went to quench my thirst did i imbibe the more of lager beer at hoffman's on the corner several squares from here no more know i cept in the morn i wakened from my sleep and having sowed perhaps i'll learn that likewise i must reap judge have you got ten dollars mr w tis true i hain't a red i suppose the words unpleasant which next to me'll be said that because by my imprudence my pocket-books collapse in prison drear must i remain till ten days have elapsed judge i'll let you go this time mr warbler ha say you so is true that though my offence is rank in vain i did not sue for mercy ne'er i fail to say both through thin and thick in the circle of my acquaintance that you're a perfect brick mr wallabout warbler left the room mr van dam announced that he had visited the jefferson market police court one morning and though there was much in the proceedings that was uninteresting he had yet been able to collate some facts which he doubted not would be regarded as worthy of being recorded upon the minutes of the club after taking a punch mr van dam proceeded he stated that a dozen or two individuals all of whom not having the fear of the law before their eyes and being instigated by a morbid thirst and who did in the city and county of new york drink swill imbibe smile guzzle suck and pour down various spirituous fermented or malt liquors wine beer ale or cider and from the effects thereof did get drunk were severally favored with moral lectures and ten-dollar fines the first were not appreciated and the second were not paid but the case which interested mr van dam most was that of four boys named frederick t white michael keefe john wheeler and manning huff who were arraigned on a charge of disorderly conduct 
they were bright-looking boys of about thirteen years of age dressed in plain but neat clothes and with the exception of white did not seem much to like the position they occupied there was a devil-may-care though not a vicious look about white which was positively refreshing he seemed to rather like the position than otherwise and from a roguish leer that was observed in his eye as he surveyed a personage who was to appear as the witness against him mr van dam was led to anticipate something in the shape of novelty and he accordingly prepared for the worst the judge told the boys the nature of the charge against them the name of the witness being called mr conrad heinrich holzenkampf announced his presence by an emphatic here mr holzenkampf was a man who was the very ideal of lager beer saloon keeper his weight was at least two hundred and seventy-five pounds one half of which could be set down to lager beer his height was not more than five feet eight but the circumference and diameter of the lager beer were enormous he carried himself erect by necessity to balance the lager beer in the front his hide was in wrinkles across the back of his neck whenever he held back his head and every wrinkle seemed ready to burst with lager beer mr holzenkampf's face looked lager beer mr holzenkampf walked lager beer drank and ate lager beer in alternation he thought lager beer dreamed lager beer in brief mr holzenkampf was composed of two things first the effects of lager beer and second lager beer mr blotter the clerk administered the oath in his characteristic manner as follows you solemnly swear in the presence of almighty god that the evidence which you shall give in the present case shall be the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god kiss the book and get out of my way mr holzenkampf i can schwear to all the dings what you speak but to tell the whole truth that i cannot schwear then i can dinks von all these boys have done i tells you more as good enough to sends them to the benedentiary for so long as they lives a hundred dings they do what i dinks not of the court kiss the book mr holzenkampf the witness proceeded to bring a gill of lager beer contained in his nose and a half gill of lager beer contained in his lips in contact with a venerable bible which has been so familiar with crime by long association that we almost wonder the text has not been long since corrupted as much as the cover lager beer and the bible having come in contact lager beer is supposed to be incapable of lying the court mr holzenkamp please state the circumstances connected with the arrest of these boys mr h vail on wednesday night at one o'clock my customers they all goes by from mine lager beer saloon and i say to jacob to go mit them and put up de blinds when he goes out mine self mine wife ve drinks some lager beer and then i takes de money and counts them and puts them in mine pocket when jacob come in ve locks the door and goes de stairs up to sleep vail mine wife and i get to de bed in so soon as we can and then i sleeps when i been sleep little vile mine wife she shakes me and say heinrich de cats they makes noise in de streets so that i cannot sleep when i wakes up i hear so much cats squall in the streets that i dinks there was a meeting von cat politicians but they make so much noise i cannot vink mine eyes once to sleep 
so i get up and goes to de window and say scat scat but de more i say scat de more they vill not scat i say to mine wife katrina you been so younger and so smaller as i been you go down in de streets and drives vady cats my wife den goes down and ven she opens de door de cat squalls not more and she looks to see them but there is not cats in de streets ven she comes de stairs up again and say de cat's been gone ve lie on de bed to sleep vell ven i been just sleep most mine got i hear de cats so louder as before and i say to mine wife all de cats in de city been come on de step walk von mine lager beer saloon they squall like hundred devils and i try to scat them vay but it was no good they squall i cannot say to you so bad as they squall mine wife say there been a thunder shower von cats ven i lie in my bed and stand it so long as i can i jump up und schwer that i shoots all de cats in de world i dakes mine pistol and runs de stairs down but i bin so mad und i go so quick that i falls de stairs over und in a minute finds mine head knock on de wall mine right hand in some schweizer cheese de other in de spit box und von foot in de big ice picture so soon as i can gets up and goes to de door and opens it i goes on de step walk und mine foot slips and i falls down on mine back and breaks all de bones in mine body i feels mine hand on de step walk and i find it been all covered mit soft soap i tries to raise myself but i bin so heavy dat i down falls before i get up just den mine wife come and help me and bulls me from de step walk in de door we do not hear de cats den und so we goes to de beds again so soon as we lie down i hears de cats so verse as de other time i hears nothing but cats i never was so much afraid except once ven a lager beer barrel fly in pieces i goes to de window and i dinks i hear dem on de awning and i gets out just den de cats stop but i say i will find where they been on de awning i walk along and my foot trips on some strings and ven i fall i hear one loud catch squall that fright me so that i thinks i been fall on more as three hundred cats ven i can get up i feels on the strings and i walks till i finds a box i brings the box to the window katrina gets the lamp and there we find in de long wood shoe-box seven cats vat was fixed this way seven notch holes was caught in de side de box and de cats was put in de box mit their heads stick out de holes on de other side de box was seven little notch holes where was de cats dales und a string was tied to all de cats dales i know dat de cats come not in de box by themselves und so i look to see where was de boys i comes de stairs down again goes on de step box so soft as i can and i finds where de strings come down from de awning i keeps hold of de string till i find it come to a big sugar hogshead by de next house and there i find these boys just then i say watch and de policeman comes and takes de boys to de station house i believe dey as be same boys as trouble me before the court boys what have you got to say for yourselves for such conduct master white volunteered to act as spokesman he said well one day we was playin in front of this ere man's lager beer saloon and he come out and threatened to lick us if we didn't stop 
we kept on and by'n by he comes to the door when we wasn't a-lookin and threw a pail full of dirty water on us we thought we'd got as good a right to the street as he had so we made up our minds to be even with him and we got the box and cats and serenaded him mr holsenkampf stated that he baptized the boys a few days before as described the boys promised not to bother lager beer saloon keepers any more in consideration of which they were discharged mr van dam stated that the last case called was that of mr timothy o'neill the case he said occupied the attention of the court nearly a half hour owing to the difficulty which the court experienced in getting him to make direct responses to his questions timothy appeared in a grey dress coat that is to say it was high in the waist with a short and pointed tail a feature oftener produced by tailors than by literary men of the present day timothy's vest was red his breeches were made of corduroy below them were long coarse stockings and brogans the evidence went to show that timothy had been found drunk in the street but he was not communicative on the subject he did not call the officer a liar after he had heard him give his evidence nor tell the judge that he was an old thief he said nothing until he was asked to take the usual oath the judge said mr o'neill put your hand on the book mr o'neill complied cautiously fearing the result of his act when the words of the oath were uttered he made the sign of the cross and after being requested by the court kissed the bible the clerk what's your name prisoner the same as me father's what was his name the same as mine tell me your name or you shall be locked up timothy and what else i haven't any middle name i mean your last name o'neill how long have you been in the city since i come to the country how long is that pat hooligan can tell you better nor i can what month was it the first sunday in lint where do you live with biddy and the childer where do they live the second floor back room bad luck to the bugs that's in it i mean what street my kennessy's stores on the first floor tell me what street the house is on who the devil can tell when they are changing the names of the blackguard streets so much what was the street called before the name was changed anthony street they calls it by another name now worth street i suppose you mean i mean that the painter should have put it worthless street whereabouts in worth street three doors from the corner what corner the corner of the street what street the street three doors above well what is its name bad luck to you why didn't you ax me that before well tell me the name faith i don't know myself it's an alley well what's the number of the house the number on the door do you mean certainly there isn't any what is your trade me father never prenticed me i mean what do you work at i don't do any work why because you've got me locked up in prison will you tell me what you work at when out of prison i'm a laboring man sir at what were you employed hard work what kind of work in the shores sewers 
you are charged with being drunk drunk is it faith i never was more sober in my life than i am at this minute that may be but here are half a dozen men who are ready to swear that they saw you drunk yesterday if it comes to that can't i bring twist as many who will swear that they didn't see me drunk yesterday what kind of liquor did you drink mighty bad liquor and ye'd say the same if you was to try it was it malt or spirituous liquor it was neither it was whisky where did you purchase it at the dutchman's where is his store on the corner what corner the corner nearest to where they're building the store where is that where i was working the court what was o'neill doing when you found him officer he was lying very drunk in a hole which he had been digging prisoner be me so you're wrong for once i didn't dig the hole i dug out the dirt and left the hole were you ever up before the court before no nor behind either when i want to be again i'll send to your honour and let you know if i let you off this time will you keep sober faith i will unless the dutchmen keep better liquor nor they do now you may go thank ye sir ye're a gentleman av there iver was one mr timothy o'neill left the courtroom mr dropper also proposed to relate the experience of some half a dozen mornings which he had spent in the pursuit of amusement under difficulties when he had occupied himself in seeing the sights around the jefferson market police court on one of the mornings which i devoted to visiting the tombs said mr dropper the class of prisoners varied most of them claimed to be from the western of the british isles others said they were born in cork clare down and other counties a number answered to patronymics to which were prefixed the letter o and an apostrophe one party who called themselves far downers looked brickbats at another party who occupied a remote corner of the cage and who claimed to be connet men the remainder of the prisoners were irish an interesting feature in the proceedings of the morning was a case in which owen shaughnessy patrick mulholland michael o'shea timothy leahy dennis moroney dermot mcdermott phelim flanagan bridget o'keel mary mcbride ellen dougherty and bridget casey were the defendants as the judge called out their names the prisoners severally responded they were all as their names would indicate of irish birth the men evidently longshoremen and labourers and the women servants their garments in some instances were torn and in other ways disarranged and soiled the men and in one or two instances the women showed bruises about their faces and hands indicating their active participation in a recent scrimmage from the effects of which they had not had the time or soap and water to enable them to recover mr gerald o'grady who stands at the head of the bar at the tombs and who under adverse circumstances and strong competition has been enabled by his talents to keep up his tariff of fees from which he has never deviated appeared as counsel for the prisoners mr o'grady has never been known to defend a case for less than fifty cents unless actuated by feelings of commendable philanthropy he has volunteered his professional services gratis it may be reasonably supposed that his success has excited the envy of the shysters 
for while they have to sit oftentimes a whole morning beside their respective granite columns at the tombs without being called upon to defend a case mr o'grady's presence in the courtroom is in frequent demand mr o'grady had been retained in this case i learned by seven of the defendants at a certain specified fee for each man he volunteering his professional services to the ladies without charge he announced to the court that he represented the defendants and that they were ready to have the trial commence is mr o'grady your counsel the judge inquired of the defendants yes your honour said one of the parties addressed didn't i pay him five shillings divil a halfpenny less for to defend me five shillings said mr o'grady indignantly you mean that as a retainer of course defendant i mean that's all you'll get anyhow counsel loudly say sir it is time for you to know that as a client you should address the court only through your counsel to the court sir my clients here peaceable citizens stand ready for to answer through me to the diabolical charges which designin men have brought against them feelin within their breasts here mr o'grady hit one of his clients a severe blow in his bread-basket assaulted client oh counsel to client keep your mouth shut why don't you to the court feelin as i said before within their breasts the proud consciousness of their entire innocence of any charges which their accusers should dare for to bring against them the witnesses were sergeant ferret and officers snap catcher o'grasp ketchum holder and van nabham officer holder stated in substance that while patrolling his beat during thursday night the inmates of a house number eighty three and one half pacific place began to get very disorderly from the howlings and noises which he heard he came to the conclusion that there was a wake in the house not desiring to stop the disturbance by any violent means he knocked at the door with the view of telling them that they were disturbing the public peace and requesting them to desist no response was made to his knock he then put his mouth to the keyhole of the door and announced to them as audibly as he could that unless they desisted he should have to call other officers and arrest them no attention was paid to his words sergeant ferret arrived soon after and inasmuch as the disturbance continued to increase they called in the other officers to make a descent on the place not however until they had first endeavoured by their voices to make the inmates of the house understand the consequence to them in case they persisted in their unlawful course officer ketchum who had formerly patrolled the beat knew of a rear entrance to the house through an alley and they accordingly entered the house by that way they found about twenty persons present men and women engaged in a promiscuous scrimmage howling drinking and fighting the orders of the sergeant to cease their disturbance did not avail anything which decided them to arrest the leading actors in the scene which they forthwith accomplished after some considerable resistance on the part of the company they brought them to the station-house the remainder of the party subsequently retired or left the place which was quiet for the rest of the night the remaining officers confirmed the evidence of officer holder in such of its particulars as they were acquainted with all of them were cross-questioned more or less by mr o'grady without however eliciting any new facts of material interest mr o'grady introduced as a witness for the defence mrs kathleen hennessy 
mrs hennessy is a lady of about forty-five years of age five feet ten inches in height weighing about two hundred and fifty pounds she has a florid face her dress was remarkable for the extent with which it was ornamented with highly colored ribbons and laces gathered in fantastic bows mr blotter the clerk administered the usual oath mrs hennessy having kissed the book the examination was commenced mr o'grady mistress hennessy will you state to the court if you're the proprietor of the house number eighty three and one half pacific place mrs hennessy of course i am and a divil and hapney is there owin to any man for what's inside of it mr o g what kind of a house do you keep there mrs h is it for to prove that the character of me house is not good that you're after axin the question mr o g mistress hennessy could ye make it convenient to thrate this court would become in respect by answering the questions that i put to ye for the purpose of establishing a defence of these ladies and gentlemen some of whom i am told are inmates of your house what kind of a house i'll ax ye once more do you keep mrs h it's a respectable honest boardin' house bad luck to the blackguard that says it's not mr o g will you play state to the court the facts of the unfortunate occurrence that transpired in your house last night mrs h for the matter of that there's mighty little to tell for it was nothing more nor awake barrin that the corpse come to life without showing the civility of first tellin the mourners that he wasn't dead at all and saying by your lave i'd rather not be av it's all the same to yez mr o g that's about that mistress hennessy that his honour is a-waitin for ye to spake of now then will ye relate the facts mrs h well plaise your honour it was yesterday morning early that i heard timothy garrity was upstairs in his room very sick and like to die i dressed myself and sent for the doctor and went upstairs and throth tim was a lyin there in one of his fits vid which he had been often troubled before and before the doctor could come to him the circulation of his brathen had stopped entirely well your honour tim had many friends in the house and as he was an old boarder we thought to hold awake over his body he was laid out and put into a coffin at night all of his friends came into the room where everything was elegantly arranged for the wake they had begun to drink their whisky and was enjoying themselves in a gintail way when pat mulholland he struck mike o'shea over the eye for something that mike had said and with that mike's friends and pat's friends got themselves mixed up in a free fight together at that time please your honour who should i see arisin from the coffin but timothy garrity himself and restin on his hands by my soul i was freckened for i thought it was tim's apparition that was appearin then tim spoke up bad luck to yous says he isn't it a fine thing yous is doin havin the whisky flowin free in a free fight too and keepin me a lyin in this blackguard box on the broad of me back without ever so much as axing me if i had a mouth on me at all at all wid dat somebody who was a strikin happened to hit timothy a clout in the eye which knocked him back into the coffin who the devil did that says tim as he made a spring from the coffin on to the floor dressed all up in his white clothes show me the man that struck me in the eye and with that 
tim he commenced a strikin out and he struck dennis maroney under the butt of the lug when they saw tim out of his coffin they stopped a fightin and fell on their knees and commenced a sayin their prayers what's the matter with yez says tim are you not dead says larry o'brien yes as dead as a nest of live flays says tim then you're alive says they throy me vid some whiskey says he and wid that they got up and gived him some whiskey which he never drank vid a better grace nor thin well as tim wasn't dead they couldn't hold the wake but they said it would be a pity to leave the whiskey to spoil so they agreed they'd have the spree just the same tim was purty wake from his fit so it didn't take long to make him dead drunk when we laid him in his bed after that your honor they kept on a drinkin and was fightin in the most friendly way when the m p s come to the door and took some of them off to the station house i then shut up the house and the rest went to bed judge mrs hennessy where is timothy the corpse here sir said a cadaverous looking hibernian a little the worse for dying without being very dead judge i think you're good for a few years yet if you take care of yourself mr o'grady have your other witnesses anything to testify in addition to what mrs hennessy has stated mr o'grady i believe not your honour the material facts of the defence are sufficiently proven by mistress hennessy's evidence of the court please i have a few words to say in behalf of me clients here which av the court will hear me i will make brief and to the point judge go on mr o'grady then av the court please i will state that the ground of my defence of these gentlemen and ladies against the unfounded charge of their disturbing the public pace is that the charge is untrue in point of fact sir what are the facts a man dies and his friends congregate about the corpse to perform their last friendly offices to his remains in accordance with a custom justified by tradition ratified by usage sanctified by antiquity vilified by these officers of the law when they call it a disturbance of the public quiet crucified when they burst in the house of mourning and interfered with it in the name of the law and sir i shall now proceed to establish a defence bona fide with the soundness of which i believe your honour will be satisfied sir the constitution guarantees to my clients freedom of conscience the stairs and stripes wave proudly over a land in which religious despotism never dare show its repulsive form and yet these officers dare say that a custom which is almost a part of the religion of these my clients is a disturbance of the public pace sir the institutions of our country are endangered by such proceedings and who was they disturbing wasn't every man and woman and child in pacific place of the same nationality of these my clients ere not their ethnological instincts running in the same channels was they disturbed no every man and woman and child there would have admired the devotion of these my clients to their ancient national traditions and customs there they was one with another doing their last friendly offices to their deceased friend in a fraternal fight over his corpse sir what a sublime spectacle for the human mind to contemplate i wonder that the officers were not transfixed by the solemnity and moral grandeur of the scene judge mr o'grady i think that the fact of the dead having come to life and having been put to bed dead drunk 
proves disastrous for your argument even admitting its soundness mr o'grady through it is your honour that the wake was proceeding without the corpse as tradition has it that once upon a time hamlet was played without the prince of denmark but your honour it was the fault of the corpse and not of that assembly of mourners if timothy garrity had chosen to have remained a decently behaved corpse then the objection which your honour has raised could not have weighed against me clients here and i press it now upon your honour should my clients here be held accountable for the shortcomings of the corpse i think not sir judge i think mr o'grady you may dispense with further argument as it would be superfluous mrs hennessy's house and its inmates have never been complained of before that i am aware of and in considerations of this fact i'll discharge the prisoners giving them warning however that in the future if they are any of them brought before me again i shall not deal with them so leniently you may go the interesting party left the court the business of the court having been quite extended the judge cast eyes upon the clock observing that the hour was already advanced but as he looked at the list of cases before him he observed with a seeming satisfaction that he had now reached the last he felicitated himself with the idea that in a few moments he would be at liberty to leave the premises and after finding his way to some neighbouring restaurant partake of his judicial sirloin steak and coffee he was evidently fatigued but he put on a good-humoured face as he called out timothy moroni here sir said a young milesian remarkable for nothing in particular here i am sir and timothy mulrooney stepped forward to the bar the judge addressed the prisoner timothy said he you are charged with disorderly conduct yes sir he is and it's me that charges him with that same spoke up an old woman dressed in a heavy blue cloth coat and an antiquated cap and bonnet judge are you the witness woman of course i am your honour and it's me pride that i can spake against tim Maroney, the dirty thief of the world that he is to the prisoner and i wonder tim that you're not ashamed to hold up your head before his honour judge madam state the facts as they occurred witness well place your honour it was on friday mornin or saturday mornin i don't know which but be that as it may it doesn't make any difference because it's about what followed that your honour wants for to know when i heard the horn of a fish-cart in front of my door says i to myself now michael has come with the porgies and judge who is michael witness and don't you know michael sure he is my own child and a better behaved and more decent boy nor him never sang at a wake and he can raid and write your honour as well as anybody barrin that when he comes to the big words he has to skip them and guess at what they mean but that is not his fault your honour for michael never had any time to go to school still judge madam you shouldn't let your tongue fly off in a tangent in this way what we desire to know is relative to the charge preferred by you against timothy mulrooney here witness yes your worship i was just comin to it when ye interrupted me to the prisoner ah oh, you murderin teef it's on blackwell's island that you ought to be instead of being here to face his honour in the indecent way that you're doin now to the judge 
well your honour it was on friday morning or saturday morning i can't tell which be that as it may it does not make any difference because it's about what followed that your honour wants for to know when i heard the horn of a fish cart in front of me door says i to meself michael has come with de porgies you see your honour michael owns a fish cart and he sells fish and what he doesn't sell he brings home for us to ate he told me in the morning that he would try for to save some of the porgies for dinner then i went out of the door and sure enough it was michael michael says i what says he is it here yez are says i sure it is says he did you save the porgies says i of course i did says he and with that he commenced taking out the fish from the cart judge what has all this to do with timothy mulroney's offensive conduct you have not shown as yet that he has done anything wrong witness your honour need have no fears but i'll convince you that a dirtier spalpeen nor him never was allowed to go unhung among a decent people to the prisoner ah tim ye villain i wonder that the ship didn't sink with ye on board when ye left the old country i'd like to see ye show a receipt with your passage money paid ye judge madam i must insist upon your addressing yourself to the court you have no business to speak to the prisoner at all although he may have done wrong yet so long as he is in my presence he shall be protected from the assaults of your tongue witness excited the assaults of me tongue howly st patrick do ye hear that your honour i'm a decent woman with a family of children divil a word has ever spoke against me character before judge i said nothing against your character i want you to confine yourself to what timothy mulrooney did to disturb the peace and quiet of your domicile witness i will your honour it was on friday morning or saturday morning i don't know which but be that as it may it don't make any difference because it's about what followed that your honour wants for to know ah your honour i have it now it was friday morning we was to have porties for dinner and not mate because it was friday judge all this is worse than nothing you are taking up the time of the court by your tedious talk which so far as i can see has no bearing whatever on the charge you have seen fit to make against this man timothy witness haven't i been trying for the last ten minutes to tell ye and ye'll not not let me it's with a bad grace that your honour reproves me for not telling ye what i know when it's yourself that is interrupting me well your honour it was on friday morning when i heard the horn of a fish cart in front of my door says i to myself now michael judge i don't want to hear that story any more you have told that several times already state the facts about timothy come down to the time when he commences to figure witness ah oh, bad luck to the treatment i get here has any of my illustrious family the o'briens ever done anything against your honour that yez would ill-threate me in this way judge not that i am aware of now go on with your evidence witness well your honour as i was about to tell ye it was on friday morning when i heard the horn of a fish cart in front of my door says i to myself now michael has come with de porgies judge impatiently mrs o'brien i witness me name's not o'brien i'm a married woman and me name is flaherty me name was o'brien when i was a girl 
judge well then mrs flaherty o'brien or whatever your name is i have heard of these porgies and that fish-cart so often that they have grown stale now tell me what occurred between you and timothy mulroney witness how do i know but you'll interrupt me again before i have said five words judge you may rest assured that i will not if you will tell what tim mulroney has done that is contrary to the law witness i could tell you enough to hang him half a dozen times if he had as many necks as that to the prisoner you know i could tim ye judge perspiringly mrs o'flaherty witness flaherty without the o your honour judge well whatever your name is you must not say anything to the prisoner in this court go on now and if you will tell what he has done i'll not interrupt you witness now remember your promise your honour it was on friday morning judge despairingly you're at it again i witness howly mother of moses i told your honour how it would be would ye here i haven't said more nor five words before you're at your old tricks again judge much vexed what did timothy do with your fish witness he didn't do anything with him that time barrin that he saw markel bring him to the house and i heard him tell biddy mulroney his mother who lives in the next room to me that he would rather live on praties and bread as they was a doin than to eight stinkin porgies that nobody else would buy i know the mulroneys was jealous judge did timothy create any disturbance then witness no your honour he didn't judge then why did you have him arrested witness it was after then that the spalpeen made the disturbance judge when was that witness it was yesterday morning judge what did timothy do witness it wasn't tim but his cat judge then it seems you have entered a charge against timothy mulroney of disorderly conduct which by right you should have made against timothy mulroney's cat always provided that cats are amenable to municipal law witness by my soul your honour ye've got it mixed up again now why didn't ye wait until i could tell ye judge go on i am reconciled to my fate as a particular favour i should like to have you finish within a half hour Witness well your honour as i was telling ye the mulroonies was jealous of us because we had fish and they didn't yesterday morning michael brought home more porgies the judge here heaved a deep sigh and i laid them on top of a barrel in the passage to wait till i could dress them what next your honour did i see but tim mulroonies big tomcat on the barrel ate in the fish i heaved a pretty at the cat and it ran off with the porgies just then i saw tim mulrooney laughin at what the cat was doin i knew the blackguard had told the cat to ate the porgies i called to michael and i run toward tim to bait the teeth as he deserved when my foot slipped and i furled over on the broad of my back with dat tim laughed the more and michael run to him and was about to give him a tap on the sconce when tim struck michael a blow in his bowels which quite frustrated him on the floor with that i ran and got the m p who brought the murder and teeth to the station-house judge well mrs flaherty i think according to your own story the prisoner acted more in his own defence than any other witness in his own defence bad luck to the tongue that says so is judge to prisoner timothy mulroney i am by no means sure that your cat did not eat the flaherty's fish with your connivance if the cat did so you did wrong 
but for that you are sufficiently punished by your imprisonment last night i think you might have been less hasty in striking michael is michael in court mrs flaherty he is stand up michael before his honour mrs flaherty michael and timothy are standing together in a row judge now i am going to ensure perfect harmony in your house for six months to come i shall bind each of you over in the sum of two hundred dollars to keep the peace this was almost too great a humiliation for the blood of the o'briens to bear but there was no alternative mrs o'brien flaherty satisfied herself as well as she could by looking screwdrivers at the judge michael appeared demure and timothy appeared jolly the bonds were given and the interesting trio left the court the judge rose from his chair and made a bee-line for breakfast during the various narrations which were given during the evening mr quackenbush remained seated in the corner saying nothing and doing as much his eyes were partially closed and an occasional sigh was all that escaped him when mr dropper concluded the reading of his contributions it was moved that mr quackenbush open his mouth and say something under the penalty of having it pried open with the poker this caused mr quackenbush to open his eyes and after various preliminary hems and coughs he announced that there was a certain rule of evidence which gave a witness the right to refuse to say anything tending to criminate himself he should avail himself of that rule having said these words mr quackenbush rolled over on the floor drew himself into double bow-knot and was soon snoring against noise in the meantime mr spout had taken the floor and stated that he had on one occasion been over at the essex market police court he was there the involuntary witness of the trial of a case which might account for the non-communicative disposition manifested on the present occasion by mr quackenbush during the proceedings the justice called out the name of r percy delaney blob and in response to the call a tall individual arose and came forward i thought i recognized in the individual in question continued mr spout a person whom i had seen before and was not mistaken he was wild and disposed to regale the assembled company with a numerous collection of songs which he had at his tongue's end his dress was much disarranged the evidence of the officer who arrested the tall gentleman went to show that he had offended against the laws by disturbing the rest and quiet of an unappreciative neighbourhood by bawling forth at midnight most unmelodious yells which when he was apprehended he assured the officer were capital imitations of sontag greasy and greasy's new baby when arrested the individual was in a plebeian state of drunkenness not so much so but that he could sing as he called it and could talk after an original fashion of his own his ideas were slightly confused he informed the officer that he had been to hear louisa crown sing the pine diamonds and that he met a friend who took him to a billiard shop to see a clam race that he and his friend bet the whisky on the result that he drunk for both and that they had passed the remainder of the evening in a magnorious manner singing storm columbus yankee boodles and scar strangled bladder the officer had taken him to the lock-up where he had finished the night singing good old daniel whistling the prima donna waltz and playing an imaginary piano solo on the floor in which attempt he had worn off some of his fingernails when he was before the court he had not yet recovered his normal condition he was still musically obstinate and refused to answer any questions of the judge or make any remarks except in scraps of song which he sang in a low voice mixing up the tunes in a most perplexing manner 
being possessed of an excellent memory and having a large assortment of melodies at his command his answers were sometimes more amusing than relevant the judge proceeded to interrogate him somewhat as follows judge what is your name sir prisoner my name is robert kidd as i sailed indignant officer he lies your honor last night he said his name was blob judge where do you live prisoner erin erin is my home knowing officer he isn't an irishman judge he's a connecticut yankee and lives in east broadway prisoner that's eight times today you have kissed me before officer please your honor he's an octagonal liar i didn't judge where did you get your liquor prisoner way down south in cedar street ringtum judge to officer what's that he says attentive officer at ring towns in cedar street judge what number in cedar street prisoner forty horses in the stable officious officer ring towns number forty cedar street your honor prisoner voluntary remark sotto voce a jaybird sat on a hickory limb he winked at me and i winked at him indignant officer who are you winking at prisoner nelly bly shuts her eye officer you'd better shut your mouth judge what have you got to say prisoner prisoner hear me norma officer well go on go on prisoner oh blame not the bard judge nobody to blame but yourself prisoner did you ever hear tell of kate kearney knowing officer keeps a place in mott street your honor prisoner oh 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 sally is the gal for me judge to officer who is sally some disreputable female i suppose officer she went up to the island to-day sir prisoner oh tell me where is fancy bread judge i don't know anything about your fancy bread if you have anything to say go on prisoner we'll all go bobbing around the judge here became indignant and demanded if he had a friend to become bail for him to which query the prisoner hiccuped out i'll never find a better friend than old dog tray judge can't take him he is not responsible prisoner i give thee all i can no more judge it won't do sir i shall fine you ten dollars prisoner that's the way the money goes pop goes the weasel indignant officer i'll pop you over the head presently prisoner there's whiskey in the jug officer you'll be there too shortly judge if you can't pay you must go to jail prisoner give me a cot in the valley i love judge very well sir i'll do it tombs ten days prisoner i dreamt that i dwelt in marble halls the officer was about removing the individual below when i came to the rescue and informed the judge that the prisoner was a friend of mine that this was the first occasion in which he had ever manifested such eccentricities and if he let him off from the punishment this time i would take him to his home and see that he never disturbed the city by his yells in the future the prisoner turned his eyes upon me and again broke out good news from home good news for me mr blob said the judge if i let you off this time will you cease going on these drunken sprees prisoner i'll touch not taste not handle not whate'er intoxicates judge i hope that when we meet again it will be under more favourable auspices to yourself prisoner interrupting meet me by moonlight alone and i will tell thee judge resuming 
for you're in a bad way now to appear among the ladies prisoner oh i'm the boy for bewitching them judge not when you're drunk i imagine prisoner a man's a man for a that judge you may go sir good day oh give to me that better word that comes from the heart good-bye i managed to get my friend mr blob out of the court-room and subsequently with some difficulty i succeeded in putting him to bed in my apartment where i kept him for twenty-four hours until he had recovered from his temporary aberration he has since that time been in a normal state except that he appears melancholy at times he is well enough however to be here this evening said quackenbush interrupting for know ye that mr r percy delancey blob is now before you in the person of myself and i am here to-night to ask forgiveness which if you don't give to me i shall take immediate measures to expel you all from the club it was immediately voted that mr quackenbush be forgiven on condition that he would disclose the facts which led to his being found a prisoner in the essex market police court this mr quackenbush said he would do and do it now and after finding room for a glass of ginger wine proceeded to narrate his experience he stated substantially that the whole difficulty grew out of a love affair he had become deeply infatuated with an unknown and beautiful blonde he had often met her in the street in theatres and concert rooms and his intense admiration ripened into a deep love he was unable to learn who she was until a fortnight previously when he found a friend who was well acquainted with her and who undertook to bring about an introduction things wore a brighter aspect then the sun was more brilliant the moon shed a less melancholy light lager beer tasted better oysters appeared fatter peanuts seemed always roasted just enough and in fact he felt quite satisfied with life and the world generally and resolved to postpone indefinitely a purpose he had entertained of buying three cents worth of arsenic but a day or two before the scene in the police court in which he figured he found himself in a stage and directly opposite was the identical object of his admiration and affection he hitched from one side on his seat to the other put one leg on the other and then reversed them looked out of the window and then at her scratched his ears pulled up his collar brushed the dust from his pantaloons put his hands in his pockets pulled them out and did many ridiculous things which he would not have done had she not been present she stopped the stage on one of the avenues and handed him a five-franc piece to pay the driver the driver as usual gave change in small pieces he counted it to see that it was all right found it to be so and informed her of the fact the streets being very muddy he resolved to do the genteel in the way of assisting her out of the vehicle made his exit put one foot six inches into a mud hole and the other on the edge of the curbstone lifted the lady to the sidewalk in safety at the expense of bursting off two suspender buttons and his vest buckle a slip down causing his nose to fall against the tire his knees into the mud his shoulder against the stage steps and caving in his hat but all this didn't trouble him in the least as he expected to be more than remunerated by an approving smile on the part of the lady he turned his face towards her and found her engaged in counting the change which he had pronounced to be all right as if she suspected that he would be guilty of cheating her out of a stray sixpence and thus hazard his chances for salvation the effect of the disappointment on him was frightful he felt a sickening sensation stopped at the nearest whisky shop and imbibed went to another and took a nip 
proceeded to a third and smiled reached a fourth and took a horn entered a fifth and drank and so on ad libitum at last he reached niblo's saw a flaming poster announcing that louisa pine was to sing in the crown diamonds bought a ticket took several drinks and a seat his ears had become unusually critical thought he could beat harrison singing and to satisfy himself he rose up and commenced to slaughter a piece which harrison had just executed there was an evident want of appreciation of his abilities for he was hustled out in double quick time he then went to a bar-room and called for something to drink which deliberate act was the last circumstance he remembered previous to recognizing mr spout in his room in the afternoon of the following day when he inquired of that gentleman if he wouldn't be so kind as to prevent the nigger boy from striking him on the head with a poker as he thought he had done it long enough a vote of forgiveness to mr quackenbush was carried after which the entire club went to sleep end of chapter ten read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com